Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here, as a podcast, so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with John Lawson, Northeast Regional Grocery Buyer at Whole Foods Market. I feel like it's a big coup. I really do. I'm like so excited that you're here. Um, Thank you. Yeah. John has been super, super helpful getting Havens off the ground. I mean, we'll talk more about that, but thank you. Um, And I really am so thrilled that he's here to share all of his advice with other emerging brands. So John, yay. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When we met, we basically had a prototype. I don't know that we had any actual way of producing or distributing our product. Um, But you helped figure out everything from distribution to pricing. I didn't listen at the beginning particularly well. But all of the stuff that I kind of try to do on this podcast, you basically helped me do. Um, And I know I'm very fortunate that I got you as that person. You have a great idea too. So Thank you. Um, So going back... Mm -hmm. What, you know, you've heard the podcast before, you know, I like to sort of know what you were like as a nine-year-old, where you grew up, what your, were you quiet, were you naughty, were you fun, naughty, I don't know where (laughs) that came from, (laughs) I don't know where naughty came from, but you know, like, what was your, what what were you like, did you, were you into food, were, you know, what did you want to be? Um, yeah, when I was a kid, I think I was uh, sort of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that stretched into my early adulthood as well. <laughs> um, I know that at one point I wanted to be a veterinarian. Aww. That sort of came and came and went, and uh, <clears throat> and then I was going to be a writer. Okay. Um, so grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. Cool. So um, from the uh, Appalachians, uh, <laughs> moved around. Uh, and ended up in New York. But uh, when I was 16, I became a bag boy at Ellis's grocery store. Got it. And, and that so was the beginning. That was, well, I never knew that I would end up with a career in uh, in food retail, but that's sort of where I started and, um, you know, learning how to bag groceries. So right. it was a good, uh, it was a good experience. How did it, first of all, for some reason, also, I th- you're really into music, aren't you? I enjoy, I enjoy right. a lot of different But you never music. wanted to be like a musician. No, I mean, like I was in the in marching band. Okay. Oh. 
Oh. Uh, I played the tuba. So. so you were not naughty, essentially. No. <laughs> it's hard to imagine like a marching band tuba player being like too much of a... Oh, like, we had, a, we had right. a good time in band. Oh, band. Not the stereotype you're thinking of. Like band of, so. camp. Yeah, right. it, was, it was a good time. Okay, so. all right. I definitely lots, don't want to throw fun shade kids. on the band. No, band crew. was great. So. Um, so you were... So you got into grocery through literally bagging groceries. I did that. You know, I did that as a kid. And then... Uh, you know, graduated high school, went on to college, English major, figured that I would uh, be a writer or, right. or something and, you know, whoever, you know, whatever I thought I was going to be. Um, <laughs> it took me three attempts to get through college. So okay. um, geographically up and down the <laughs> up and down the eastern seaboard. And then right. uh, finally um, ended up in New York right. uh, working as a photographer. Oh, wow. And did that for... Like maybe 10 years. Really? That's and a long time. I mean, that's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. That's my past life. Okay. Realized that uh, photography wasn't really, uh, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't have the skill mm -hmm. that, that certain je ne sais quoi skill to, yep. to be a uh, New York Times photographer. Right. Um, and in the meantime, I'd been working at a, a co-op called the 4th Street Food Co-op, which mm -hmm. is still on East 4th Street between 2nd Ave and Bowery. And it's a little, I think it's what, like 800 square foot with lots of bulk and um, nobody owns it. The members wow. the members own it and anyone can shop. Members get a discount. So Very cool. my little plug for the old co-op that yeah. I worked at like 20 years ago. Do they have an Instagram? We can tag them or they're, I have they're no like too idea. cool to have an Instagram. No idea. <laughs> okay. It's well, if they do, Maddie, time. we'll tag them. So 8th Street. Fourth Street, Fourth Food Street, Street. Fourth Street Food Co-op. Co so they, uh, so you know, I worked there for a long time. Uh, learned about you know all the um, the natural food customers through right. the '90s, um, selling a lot of like soy milk and yep. uh, tofu and like fresh tofu and yep. things like that. Uh, a lot of bulk products. Um, you know, lear just learned a lot of different things there yeah. while I was pursuing this photography career. Right. Then at a certain point, I decided I really liked retail. Yeah. So I let go of the photography and went to work at ABC Carpet. Right. Did that for a couple of years, realized that I'm also not a matchy-matchy kind of guy. Right. So um, <laughs> I basically just applied at Whole Foods in 2004. For what job? Uh, I just applied. I like, didn't I didn't even know what I was applying for. Wow. And I got into the... Uh, into the um, a career development program, right? And open Union Square, and then that's so cool. This is so Jericho. cool. Yeah, so you know, learned you know, worked on the floor for five years, right? And then uh, moved to Chicago as a regional buyer. Was there for two years, <clears throat> and then came back to New York. So you were the Midwest regional. Uh, buyer I was the the just promotions buyer there. Right. Okay. Gabe, Gabe was and still is the the regional buyer there, Got and it. then came back to New York two years later uh, as as a regional promotions buyer, and then. Started working on categories about six or seven years ago. Wow. And so I, that's just kind of amazing. You've been there for like 15 years. Just coming up on 15 years. And what, I mean, this is stuck more than anything else is stuck. Is it Whole Foods in particular? Is it the job is just dynamic and fun? Is it meeting young brands? Like what, what do you love um, about it? You know, it's supporting entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, it's learning something new every day. Yep. I mean, every every week there's something something new happening in the food world that yep. is super interesting. Uh, as an English major, I've gotten a whole finance education. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to think of this as my my grad school. Was, yeah, I know, think of this as my grad school. Yeah, for it's a, sure. It's a good 
it's a good, um, you know, on the ground grad school. I was always much better at doing things than learning things. Yeah. So, uh, so this was a much better way to get a, to get a, a, a quote unquote MBA. Right. No, it's, it's awesome. All right. We're going to take a little break early. Um, because I have so many questions that I want to just have the back end all just loaded. So we'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave-Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Andrew Friedman, and I'm the host of Andrew Talks to Chefs here on HRN. Every week, I interview a diverse cross-section of the best and biggest names in professional cooking. Give a listen and get to know all about the inner lives of chefs. You can find Andrew Talks to Chefs wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm back with John Lawson, Northeast Regional Grocery Buyer from Whole Foods Market. Um, So I kind of, I don't know, there's like a, I don't know what the what the word is. It's not veneer. It's like, there's sort of, you have like a mystique, I think around you a wow. little bit. No, cause you're like, you're a serious person. You have sort of the keys to the kingdom in a lot of ways. I feel like you've discovered a lot of brands and been a big part of their success. Um, and it's just kind of exciting getting the opportunity to ask you these questions. Cause people are going to really want to know. Um, so how many new brands do you see probably every year-ish? What are some promising signs that you see? And then what would you say are some red flags where you're like, mm, not going to work? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, it, just in terms of just net brands, hundreds and hundreds yeah. via email and, and people who just cold, cold mail packages. Um, uh, things that... Uh, some of the things that, that strike me are um, packaging, like mm-hmm. um, solid packaging, um, strong call-outs that are on trend, uh, areas that are, um, you know, everyone, one of the big questions I always get is like, what's the white space in grocery? And of course, <laughs> if, I, if I had the, Sauce. the the perfect answer to that, then I would, you know, I would probably go make a product. And go right. make a product. <laughs> so, and, and also because there's so much happening in the food space, um, the white space is... is um, it's not, there's not like a flat white space to look at. You have to find angles on it. Yeah. So someone will come into a, to a category that, <clears throat> or a subcategory like right. the sauce that mm-hmm. where you, uh, you didn't think there, you, you felt like that's space. another thing. Yeah. And then you, you realize that, okay, there's, there's actually an opportunity in this space to, um, to, there's a crease that you can, uh, exploit and, and, right. and sort of grow, grow the category and, you know, give customers something new and exciting yeah. and on trend. And 
red flags are when it's just like a tired category and a product that really doesn't differentiate itself? Yeah, the, the lack of differentiation, the me too, um, not hitting the, not hitting the, you know, not hitting the key points. You know, if something is is like really positioned well for paleo and then it's or, or keto and it's full of sugar, right? Uh, things like that, where um, occasionally you'll see something and you'll give some advice to say, uh, why don't you make a couple of changes to to this, this, and this? And if they go back and come back with it, I always have to to include the caveat that that's not a commitment. I'm going to pick up the product. Right. I'm, I'm giving you free advice. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes they'll come back with it and you'll see something really cool and then you'll be ready to move, right. you know, to move forward with it. Do you, um, do you have a, are you ever sort of seeking out, okay, we need a new fill in the blank or like this, this part of the store is looking a little tired. It'd be really great if I could find a, a you know, a chickpea cereal. Or, you know, something like that. And then do you ever go seek out brands or is it mostly just incoming because you're kind of flooded with people like me? <laughs> well, it's it's a lot of incoming. Um, you know, occasionally seeking something out, but, you know, mostly it's uh, mostly what you're seeking out is somebody who's already doing something. And then the line extension sort of makes sense to to cover other areas that, right. that make sense. But, you know, we've got so many, especially in, in New York Metropolitan, we have so many great entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are who are doing cool things and are coming up with those ideas on their own. They yeah. don't necessarily need. They don't need me to tell them what those ideas are. They're, they're coming to me with even cooler ideas than I could possibly come up with for right. them. And do you ever do you ever do discovery? I mean, I know you go to some shows, but do, are you are you kind of do you feel like you have enough kind of coming at you that you don't need to go out and find new products, or do you feel like you're kind of always looking for new products? Always looking for new products yeah. and new ideas. I mean, you go to a restaurant and somebody. A chef comes out with something, and it's like, right. well, okay, wait a second, maybe we can, uh-huh. maybe we can figure out something with this. And uh, you know, like we've talked about a lot, I'm a cautious growth guy. So yeah. you know, if I get someone excited about something, you know, I don't want to make them think, hey, you're going to launch this and it's going to be amazing. Right. It's, you know, um, I'm going to invest time and shelf space, but you know, it's a long road for anyone to, you know, once you. Once you have that germ of an idea to yeah. actually put it in the soil and get it to grow. Yes, it is. Can we talk a little bit since you brought it up? Can we talk a little bit about cautious growth and kind of what you mean and how the regions work a little bit, you know, in the sense that when you, I don't, I, for instance, when we launched at Whole Foods, we launched in not even a whole region of Whole Foods. We launched in 14 stores in your region. There are brands, I guess, that launch what's called globally, which means that they're launching in all the regions. Um, How, you know, I know that you like to kind of build a region, make it strong, make the mistakes early on. Um, Can you just talk a little bit about that process or can you can you tell us a little bit about how the regions work sure i mean my cautious growth philosophy is around the idea that that a brand that launches in new york metro um really a brand that launches anywhere uh has an opportunity has shelf space um you know is is going to need to find distribution uh is going to need to learn how to uh uh, run promotions run demos which you've you know you've done a lot of we've learned Um, and there are a lot of mis- a lot of mistakes to be made, and if you launch in all the stores of Whole Foods Market, which is um, you know a great opportunity for a lot of folks, uh, you get sort of one chance to make those mistakes. And yeah. if you make too many of them, you might lose that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But if you're in one region 
and you get to make some of those mistakes and you're partnered with your regional buyer you know in, in that case me for, for northeast yep. then you know we give you some some bandwidth some runway whatever the term is to you know to make those to make those yeah. mistakes to learn to learn through trial and uh, and then uh, as you as you sort of establish that foundation then i feel like you're sort of ready to expand go to the into, next region yeah all say. the stores in the region and then go to the next region right because you can go in with a, a much more solid game plan and strategy yeah. uh for for growth in that region and every region is different so every, different customers different price sensitivities uh, mm-hmm. different flavor profiles so you go into another region and you're gonna have a whole different set of learning right. so i feel like the brands that are best positioned for long-term success are the ones where they've really built that relationship store by store, region by region. You know, it's so funny because Mike Kerbin, the founder of Vita Coco, was on the other day and he was saying, you know, start, he had like an express, core than more is the way he termed it. And, and so many people say that, you know, start with a core community, build out from there. And yet I feel like there is this sort of pressure to like go big, you know, it's hard to... It's hard to do marketing, honestly, when you are only regional to some extent because you have to be only regional in your marketing and you don't right. want to have like, you know, it's like there's a challenge to it also. You know, everyone kind of wants you to sort of be this big, bold brand and and slow and steady, you know, not even slow, but like slower and steadier, you know, does, I think, win the race. But it is kind of hard to balance that sometimes, I think, if you're a founder. Well, especially in, in, in the world of social media and yeah. where, you know, everything is sort of uh, accessible from anywhere, yeah. um, you know, not like the old days where, you know, it was circulars in the newspaper and things right. like that. It's, it's you know, you put you put out on Instagram and the whole right. the whole planet could see it, theoretically, <laughs> right. except for certain countries where they can't. So. <laughs> Speaking of Instagram, has it changed your job at all or your role or any um, part of it? Yeah, I, I think Instagram blows blows things up a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. So you can have a brand, a product um, that will customers will um, will really break down the doors and you know rush the rush the aisles to get their hands on this this hot new product. Right, and um, we've had a number of those recently. You know they do really well, but then they run into production issues, and right. uh, and then it's a hard time staying in stock, and then it becomes, you know, the question of of uh, you know when's it going to come back? And right. It's, it's always and sort people of have a quick a forget point. memory. You know, uh, most of, most of the ones that that have been recent have finally figured out their production right. because they they launched and they just weren't ready for that rush, uh, and then when they finally figured out the production, their you know their sales settle in, and, right. and it's not like they've fallen off. Right. Uh, you know, but you do have to figure out the production within a certain period of time. Yeah. I mean, for founders listening, I feel like I I divide everything between like ops and sales. And those two, it's like a Venn diagram, you know, and in the middle is like demand planning and promotional schedule and, you know, figure out and, you know, figuring out some sort of even R&D, you know, like what's going to make sense for for the sales side needs to be margin accretive on the op side. But if you don't kind of get those two things, like those two pillars kind of figured out, it took me about a year, but I, my guess is that's probably average. That would sound about average. I mean, it really depends on the brand. I mean, some brands just come on the scene, figure it out and just off to the races. And, 
I mean, the other, the sort of the polar opposite is, I mean, we launch brands that we're excited about and sometimes they just can never figure it out. So right. it's, it's a, you know, and you, we're, we're always rooting for the brands. I mean, it's, it's, um, it is one of the joys of the job when you launch something and, and you sort of give the advice and you watch it, they figure it out blossom. and you watch, yeah, yes. that seed grows and yeah. turns into a beautiful flower. Yeah. So. We're hoping. Or a tall tree. Yes. We're like, a, we're a seedling right, right. now. <laughs> um, is it kind of true? I, this is a random question, but I feel like a lot of people say like, well, if something's going on the shelf, something has to go off the shelf. Like, are there only, I mean, there are only, it's a store. There are only so many shelves and slots on shelves. And are you, every time you bring something new in, are you kind of taking something old out? I mean, that's brick and mortar. That's the way it's always been. Yeah. You know, we have a limited amount of shelf space, uh, especially in the refrigerated section. Uh, as you know, it's it's very, very tight. And so anytime you, you bring something in, you've got to make the space to... To, to put it on the shelf. So it's, right. it's basically one in, one out. Yeah. So it's competitive. It's competitive. That's yeah. intense. Yeah. And, and brands, you know, brands get the opportunity on the shelf. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times a brand will say to me, you know, thanks for the support. And I always think of it more as a, in terms of an investment. Mm-hmm. So we've made an investment in your product with the shelf space, which has a certain value. Yep. Um, and time and labor from our teams. Yep. Um, and in return, we expect the brand to go in and right. actually do the work to grow the sales, you know, through the promotions yep. and the demos and the social. And So I want to talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. because, you know, you and I have talked about this. I think that I um, miscalculated a little bit at the beginning how powerful social media would be. Um, and probably undercalculated or emphasized how much we needed to do in the stores. You know, that's a combination of not knowing the system, also not really understanding, you know, how a demo isn't just getting the product into consumers or potential consumers' hands. It's also showing support to the buyers at the stores and that there is this sort of this real relationship that needs to be built between the brand and the buyers. Um, what would you say, uh, I know it's different for each category, but what would you say to a new brand that's like starting on a few shelves at Whole Foods, this is how many demos you should probably think about doing. This is how you should think about promoting. I mean, I know that it depends, but is there sort of a, is there a general way you can kind of tell people what to do? Yeah, a lot of it is working backwards. Um, so for the pricing piece, <clears throat> you have you have the, the the retail price that you go out on the shelf. That's your SRP, your suggested retail price. Mm-hmm. And so you want to know what that – you want to have done the research for your right. category or subcategory that you know exactly how much you want to sell for on shelf. Right. And we talked about this, sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but it, there's a couple episodes back with our outsourced CFO named Dawn. It's from Relish Food Project. If you haven't listened to that episode, listen to that episode because she we break down like how much the distributor is going to take, kind of what if you want your SRP to be $5, what your costs need to be and to not 
mess that up too much. And that's an important one to listen to because yeah. I think that's a place where you know a lot of, a lot of brands spend a lot of time making sexy packaging right. and figuring out this whole go to market strategy. But pricing doesn't feel sexy to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It feels like a lot of work and a lot of math. And a lot of people cut math class and yeah. didn't want to deal with that. And so I feel like that that's part of the. Um, it's a key part of the equation because you, if you have the right price point and you're accruing the right amount to promote mm-hmm. and you're hitting that right price point on promotion, which is the yellow tag um, in our stores, uh, then those are your demos. That's your that's your um, your trial samples when when someone actually buys the product on sale, goes right. home, tries it, loves it, they'll come back and buy it again and again. I mean, at its most at, at its most basic, um, you can have demos. Uh, Alongside of that, um, I don't really give a number for demos. Right. Uh, I really, I mean, like you were talking about getting to know the buyers. You really want to just get to know, yeah. get to know your store, get to know your customers, get yep. to know the team members in the store, and they'll constantly for Whole Foods Market they'll constantly uh, they'll constantly rotate. So yep. this person will be at this store, and then in six months they'll be at that store, and so it's it's just a constant sort of cycle of renewal yeah. um, and getting to know people. But they'll carry that to the new store too. So right. you build that enthusiasm and then they take it to another store. And so it's cross-pollination to stay on that theme. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's funny because we, I don't, I don't know why I didn't, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know how important that was. And I think especially for us, because we, when you start off in a couple of stores, does everyone not start off on the planogram? Or does everyone? Is it unusual? Like, um, no, or is it ha- a couple? We, we have uh, we have local brands right. um, that start off in sometimes one store, right? Uh, and sometimes they just stay in one store and they just continue to sell that one store. Some of them expand to more stores. <clears throat> Some of them really take off and do great and get planogrammed. Right. Uh, once you're planogrammed, then you're part of the the schematic that um, on the reset month. Right. Uh, the team goes into the store and actually resets it. And according to that schematic, your product has to be on the right. shelf in a certain place. So the planogram for anyone who doesn't know what that is, is, you know, for a region, right? It's it's for, it's by set size. Okay. So for us, we do it by set size. So, you know, you have different set sizes and each set size has a different map that tells you where the product's supposed to go. And so some products are on all the planograms. Right. Some products are only in larger sets because right. the smaller sets can just really have a core mix. And if you're not on the planogram because you're a local product, you're basically getting squeezed in somewhere where there might be an extra little space. And that's where you really have to get the enthusiasm and right. the buy-in from the teams. Yeah. So they get excited that, of course, I'm going to carry this product. Yep. Customers are going to come. If I take this off the shelf, I'm going to hear from the customers. Uh, you know, I really like this product. I yep. like the demos they do. They help me turn the product. Right. So that's yeah. those are big, it's, big it's components. It's super important. And it's funny because I, I, you know, I guess, how would you know? Um you listen to this show. Okay. <laughs> um, what are some of the fundamentals that you wish, like, for example, someone like me would have had locked up before I actually came to you, you know, before I was ready. I, I thought I was ready to go on the shelf. I probably wasn't entirely ready. It took us like six months after you said like let's try to figure this out for us to figure out production and distribution and then it took us another six months to figure out a promo schedule and demos and you know pricing even um and i again i appreciate your patience with that but for other people listening what what do you what are sort of the key things you want them to have in place before they're really ready to come to you 
Um, well, obviously, you need you need to have your package. You need to have a UPC. Right. Uh, that's a a very we basic had that piece. we did there have. You that. Go. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you weren't. I don't think you were as unprepared as you thought you were. Yeah. I, I think that um, you know, we get a lot of brands that come in and <clears throat> are in some some stage of readiness. Right. Have something really interesting, and so I mean, a lot of the job is patience. Like you right. know, you have to be you have to be willing to. Uh, you know, work with someone through the process and frankly to allow them to make the mistakes because right. everyone comes in with a different, from a different background, with a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And it, it just takes time for people to sort of wrap their heads around it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't think, um, I don't think it's as easy as like here are the right. five things you need to have coming in. Um, but, you know, you, you want to be able to, I mean, I would say <clears throat> be made it in, um, you don't want to be made in your own, your home kitchen. Yes. Like you, you right. want to have a, a, a space where you're having product made. Um, you know, you want to know what your capacity is. Right. You want to be able to talk about your capacity. So, you know, if, if they come in with a chocolate bar and it's amazing, oh my God, we're going to put this in all the stores. Right. And <clears throat> a lot of brands don't want to say no. Like, right. oh, they're going to put in all the stores. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's like seeing the train coming yeah. and tied to the tracks and... It's just going to run you right over. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's hard to say no. Being realistic, yeah. though, and yeah. you know, if 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 they say I'm going to put you in all the stores, saying hold on a second, I can supply two stores. Right. Okay, so we'll do two stores. Right. Uh, you know, there is. We're all very patient, and uh, we want we want it's in everyone's interest for the brands to succeed. So we just need to understand transparency, right? Um, communication. I mean, buzzwords, but also. No, that's what I was um, going to ask about the companies that you really enjoy working with. And you had said something about you want to know if they're going to be out of stock before. Yeah, that's a big one with yeah. me. Uh, it's it's just important that, that brands communicate proactively yeah. and don't try to – a lot of brands will try to hide issues. And yeah. The don't issues hide. always come out. So just be, be straightforward with it and trust that, you know, again um, – I think a lot of times people, the, the brands don't think about us as investors yeah. in their project, their product. And <clears throat> it's important to treat us like an investor yep. and give us, you know, if you want to change your packaging, your UPC, your ingredients, um, you know, give us give yep. us a little bit of uh, give us a little bit of heads up on that. And, you know, it's great to know to have some to have some input. And, and you know, we're not going to tell you. We're just we want to hear what you're doing right. and understand and uh, but it's the same for out of stocks and everything else. Anyone who's listening to this, who's had a conversation with me about out of stocks, knows that it's a <laughs> it's a big big thing. So yeah, I mean, I remember you know we changed our peanut to cashew, and I'm I'm happy we did it. It was a great decision, but I mean, you definitely walked us through that process and it wasn't an easy process. I mean, again, I think it had more to do with allergens and there you know we needed to sticker to just sort of say a new thing but if you know it was I definitely remember talking to you about it and being a little nervous before the conversation that you were going to be like you know what forget it I just I don't want any of them (laughs) yeah you're out you're done you know and yet we never we never I don't think we ever I know uh, comment anyone that way no I I know it's just kind of funny because I remember like being like okay I'm going to call them now (laughs) um are there and you don't have to name names obviously are there brands that you thought had a ton of potential and you loved and you were really psyched about and they just didn't make it yeah I can I can think of some I mean I'm I'm the shopper I'm the shopper who I bring something in I really like uh not everything is based on my own taste there's plenty of things that I don't get that do very well Mm -hmm. um and I have a lot of respect for them but it's just not something that I would buy personally but 
there are brands that I brought in that I'm, oh, this is so good. I love it. And it just doesn't do anything. And then I have to disco it and yeah. kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I was the one person who was buying it. Those are probably all my sales. And so, I mean, it really, it comes down to the reason why they ultimately didn't make it was just a function of not selling as opposed to, you know, other issues that, uh, I don't know, production or, you know. It's, it's usually it. lack of sales. Yeah. Yeah. That's... How long do you give someone? And like, is there a sort of standard? I mean, for instance, with us, like, I know that our velocity is very good just because I think it's just empirically good. And all we can do is like kind of measure it against like sauce as a category. Um, but we don't know what the high limit is yet. I mean, we don't, we think it's good now. It could be even better. Who knows? You know, but you know what? Do you have like a kind of they need to be selling at least like two units a week or something like that? Like how do you? It really you know? depends on the category. Yeah. And, you know, it, it depends on how interesting the product is, uh, you know, how close, how closely we've worked with them. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I would say six months to a year is. You give it you a know, shot. You really, you've got six months to a year to sort of figure it out. Uh, higher velocity category, less time. So right. chips, yogurt, things like that are going to be a lot um you know, you've got to figure it out a lot quicker because right. the space is a premium. And there's, you know, for every brand that's getting a shot on the shelf, there's 10, 100, 1,000 other brands that would like to have that same shot. So right. it's a, uh, it's really a calculation of have, have we done everything we can do with this brand? Have, have we, is there anything we've missed to, that would have really, um, you know, lit the fuse to Help take it. off? Right. And without, um, you know, barring any of those things, you know, it'll, you know, it's, it's a tough conversation, but yeah. you know, I think usually the brands sort of understand that it's coming. So it's not a, yeah. And I mean, do you, I mean, not I, the, not the favorite part of my job. No, I would imagine. And I mean, I'm sure in between there, there's like, let's try some more demos and let's promote a little bit more and, you know, let's try to get it into people's hands. Yeah. That would really, I think that would depress me a lot. Um, any brands that you think are doing it especially right right now? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you want me to name brands? I mean, I yeah, I think you could name a few. We can uh, give props where they're due. Um, and what is it that they're doing that you think is making them do it right? You know, or you know. Yeah, I mean, a brand that we launched uh, in the Northeast a few years back, Bonza, is yeah. doing really, really well. They come up a lot on this show. We Those had their head great. of operations on very early. Um, but Bonza, I feel like yeah. people yeah, bring Bonza up a lot. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's Derek, good, but he's great. Uh, <clears throat> what they are just, they doing great? Tell me. Um, great product line. Um, just really connecting with customers. Mm -hmm. um, very, um, very communicative. Uh, you know, great, great guerrilla marketing. Um, really on trend with their new rice product. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think they just really, they, they've sort of cracked the code on gluten-free pasta. Yeah. In, in some respects, just pasta in general, yep. uh, and have just created an excitement. Um, a lot of us, you know, we've talked about that, the orange box, and I think a lot of us at first, like, oh, I don't know, that orange box, yeah. it's awfully bright, yep. but, you know, they stuck to it and, yeah. and have really made an iconic statement with that. So, that's no, true. Um, you know, that's that's one where my advice might have been, eh, you might want to think about something else. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'm, I, I like to say I'm right 25% of the time, so I, I throw a lot of advice out there. Right. and. You know, they. I think they had a vision, and they've they've stuck to the vision. Yeah. Um, no, they're doing a great. They do great on social too. 
I yeah. mean, that, that yeah. Um, and any, then, yeah. yeah, there's like one culture. Do you know one culture? Uh, he's doing the um, the bone broth soup cups. Oh, uh, no. And then he just, at, at Expo West, he launched a line of... Um, vegan soup cups. Oh, cool. Uh, and, you know, we've been working with them uh, since Hanson's the founder. He launched a, uh, a sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sauce is, he still got the sauce, but he, now he's really focused on these bone broth soup cups that are right. really, really, um, just really well designed. Similar to Nona Lim? Like- uh, Nona Lim is more um, uh, refrigerated. Right. And so his are shelf stable Oh, these the are like cup cups. of noodles 2.0. Yeah, 2. yeah like, right. the Mike, like the Mike's Mighty Good. I can't. Right. I can't remember the exact name on that one, but right. you know, there's there's a number of them. But uh, the cool thing about one culture is they're actually dialing in the um, geographically where where it comes from and sort of tying it back, um, you know, from a foodie perspective, right? Historically, so Very I thought cool. I thought that was really cool. And the the colors and the graphics are really nice awesome. on it. Really pops. I'm gonna go um, another one is Dang. That we've yeah. Worked with. So and they've got His those new keto bars too. that are <clears throat> that are fabulous. So. Yeah. No, I it's. It's so, I'd love to sort of break down like how they're doing it well. And I guess, I mean, you can't, there's no real formula, obviously, or everyone would be following it. But it does seem like there's a connection with consumers for sure. There's an identity, you know, they, they, these brands know who they are for sure, you know, and they're not like wafting around trying to be all things to all people. Um, And it seems like they're actually truly innovating. They are. I mean, yeah. every one of these brands is, is doing, I mean, like Sir Kensington, Siete, mm-hmm. yeah. um, just really, uh, really interesting, um, uh, great graphics, yep. you know, re- colors that pop, um, great stories. I mean, you know, Dang is a family story. Siete is a family story. Yeah. Even Bonza, I mean. Yeah, the brothers. brothers. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, the, um, I feel like there's a, um, an authenticity yep. that, um, that I think sort of translates through to the customer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that Scott goes out and still does demos from time to time for mm-hmm. the Bonza. So, yeah. And likes to sort of brag about how much he can actually sell during a demo. So I know. That's what, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's funny because I also had, um, I had Pat Jamey on here. And I mean, they used to sell hundreds of Sir Kensington's ketchups at demos. I mean, he had the record, I think, or someone had the record. I mean, they sold a lot in a demo. That's a, that's a particular gift to yeah. be able to sell that much in a demo, you know. Um, Sales is huge. So yes. That's not to be underestimated. No, not at all. And especially as the founder to go in and do the demos yep. because you can really connect with that customer and you can get to know your customer one-on-one and, yeah. you know, build that relationship and, and get that feedback. And sometimes it you'll hear that same feedback over and over and you'll yep. look like light bulb. Yep. And that yeah. can drive a, a, a really good correction for the brand. I actually, it's funny because when I do demos... Um, I used to be really uncomfortable because it felt like hawking my wares a little bit. Like, you want to try some sauce? You know, hey, you, you know, like, and the woman's like, please, no, like, please leave me alone. (laughs) You know, I always felt like I was harassing someone until I switched it around into what are you going to do with the chicken? Like, how are you going to make that lamb? Wow, I see you have eggplant. Can I help you make that better? Because did you know I have a cooking school? And, you know, and all of a sudden, I think when I turned it from, gosh, like I'm another one of those annoying, like used car salesmen into I'm actually doing what I set out to do in the first place, which is help people make dinner quicker and easier. You know, it was like a mindset change. And to the point of cracking the code, you know, I think every... 
every situation is unique. Uh, and so you just keep sort of playing around with it until you get the right combination. And once yep. you find that, and that's the same with price point yep. and promo price point. Um, then you go. And, and packaging and all these. Like once you, you figure it out and you know you've got it, mm -hmm. then you just, that's... You know, that's when right. you know you've got that foundation under you and you're ready for sort of your next step yep. in, the, in the evolution. Yeah. No, it'd be really... I mean, I feel like I could draw a timeline from like all of this and say like, this is where you are and this is where you need to be before you kind of press the pedal to the metal. And don't let, whether it's investors or other retailers or other brands or what you see on Instagram, make you feel like you're not pushing the pedal to the metal soon enough. Like get your ducks in a row. You know, you have to go at the pace that you're comfortable at. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's some brands that will, you know, sell in that one store forever. And if that's the pace they're comfortable at, we're happy to keep selling them in that yeah, one store. So as long as they're selling, as long as they're selling, right. <laughs> we're very supportive of that. Um, yeah, you are. That's definitely, I've seen that. Um, best way for founders to communicate with you without harassing you or annoying you. Yeah. I mean, this is a big conversation at Expo West, you know, so founders are salespeople. You know, that's you're, you're selling we your have to be. you're selling right. your product, not in a bad way. Um, sometimes people say, "Oh, I didn't want to email you because I was going to bother you." Mm -hmm. I'm nervous about saying this for posterity because you're going to get a lot of emails. But <laughs> I get a lot of emails. Yeah. So, but you know, I feel like if someone has something, they need to reach out and they need to be persistent um, without being rude. Yes, uh, and they need to be understanding. You know, of time limitations. Um, and they need to listen. A lot of times I'll send something back and I'll put very specific directions in it and they don't follow the directions. And right. so I don't, you know, there's only, only so much I can do to, right. to, to help someone sort of with that first step. But, um, you know, I, I dare say that I'm, I'm never bothered by too many emails, you know, but sometimes I just can't answer them right. all. And so I, I want to, um, you know, I always want to try to, I try to answer them all and I try to, um, um, just give that, piece of encouragement yep. or uh, just the thought on, on what they're doing. Uh, but at a certain point, I have to sort of like go and move on to the next thing yeah. as well. So, And you have a lot of brands that you're managing, not just the it's ones that want to get in there, right? Yes. I mean... Existing brands and... Yeah. Yeah. It's, and transitions. We love the transitions. So. <laughs> um, any... I mean, I feel like you've given some good warnings. You know, don't... don't grow before you're ready to get your ducks in a row, but are there any sort of other warnings or, you know, words of advice or wisdom or caveats you'd like to give to founders that are starting out? Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, brands that, um, the brands that succeed are organized. Mm -hmm. They have a strategy. Uh, the strategy is adaptable. So you can adjust the strategy and, um, you know, based on feedback from, uh, my team mm -hmm. or from customers or buyers in the stores mm -hmm. uh, and uh, brands need to have energy like there's you've got to have you can't go out there low energy like yep. you've got to you've got to get out there and be willing to push it and um, again I mean I just can't say it enough you know that we we can provide the shelf space but we don't provide the sales right you know you, yeah the, the brand has to really pull the pull That's the customer in and sell the product so um, it's a uh, it's it's a challenge. I think a lot of people think that the last step is getting onto the shelf at Whole Foods no, Market. No, yeah, and that's the, fir the first step. That's the first step. It's so amazing. I mean, I really I can think about when I just I really did. It's because it's so exciting. You know, it's a big deal and it's exciting. But then you're like, oh wait, it's like the. Did you ever see The Graduate? 
And you know, when they get on the bus at the end and he's like, Elaine, and he (laughs) crashes her wedding. Okay, now I've lost you. But basically, they like he breaks up her wedding. They get on the bus. They're on the bus, and like the last scene is like them kind of like, okay, well now what? You know, like now what? Yeah. You know, and it's all about the now what? What's with, the happily ever after? Right. Right. Well, right. The, the myth of the uh, of the happily ever after, where there's there's a lot to go after that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was reading about Nathan Chen yesterday, and he was talking about you know winning the gold medal is great, but there's a life after you win the gold medal and there's probably mm-hmm. a lot more special things going to happen in your life after that. Yeah. And so, you know, like he's focused on going to school right now, which was pretty cool. Yeah, so, that is cool. Um, yeah. I think, so. I think we underestimate and I do think in the age of Instagram and especially because of course, when you have a brand and you have a community that loves that brand, you assume that everyone loves that brand and you're like the world wants this, but the reality is, is it really is up to you as the brand to make sure that as many people try it as possible. And the best way to do that is to build the relationships with the buyers. And the customers. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And you just got to build all those relationships. And frankly, brick and mortar for all the, the rumors of its demise. Yeah. Having that one-on-one connection with customers and buyers at the yeah. store level is, is your most basic um, touch point for uh, long-term success. Yeah. People are getting a little tired of digital. They are. Analog, man. Yep. Going back to the eight track. <laughs> um, <laughs> or something like that. Or something like that. Um, <clears throat> what is the most fun you've had in your job? Uh, I think the most fun that I have on an ongoing basis is uh, putting all the planning and work into launching a product. I mean, we, we have a very long launch process at mm-hmm. this point. And, you know, you, you initiate the relationship, you go through all the, you know, all the components of, of the launch and then the launch comes and you see it on the shelf and then you start to see the numbers come in and it's doing very well. And that's very fulfilling because, you know, I'm not, I'm not the entrepreneur. I feel like I'm the... You're the entrepreneur babysitter. Yeah. Well, I'm the the conduit for (laughs) for the entrepreneur to be successful in Whole Foods Market. So, uh, you know, I, I, I take great... Uh, satisfaction from seeing a brand, uh, you know, really take off and, and do well. Um, you wow. know, and I support all of our brands, even the brands that I get mad at sometimes. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I still support them and, and feel strongly that they, uh, um, you know, they do a good job and everyone, everyone's entitled to make some mistakes. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the nature of the business. Well, I have to say like you, you never said, I told you so. Like I made a, I definitely, we had a conversation about pricing and you're like, mm, I think it should be this. And I was like, mm, I want it to be this. And you're like, okay. And then a couple months later I called like tail between the legs. I'm like, you were right. You never once, not once. Well, I do. I mean, I respect, you know, you're the founder and I respect the, yeah. um, you know, your thought process, uh, process goes into it. And it's, yeah. you know, it's really a matter of um, uh, respecting your vision as well. Right. And <clears throat> letting you, again, because you're in that limited number of stores, if you make a mistake, it's going to be, it's right. not going to, um, if it is a mistake even. Yep. Because when you learn, it's not necessarily a mistake. No, right? it's because, a good learning experience. Because yeah. then you've got that um, in your, yeah. you know, and you, it, you know, you won't stumble that way again right. so well um i just want to thank you again for everything thank you for coming on the show thank you whole foods market for allowing john to come <laughs> on the show My um pleasure. 
and uh, other founders out there, I'm not going to give them your cell phone. I was going to like joke and be like, it's 646. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, anyway, we'll see you next time on In the Sauce. John, thanks again for coming and um, have a great week. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.